0: Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Steve Vigilanti, the head of business development for Olipop. Olipop is reinventing the soda category, offering a new kind of soda that combines the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit digestive health. Featured flavors include vintage cola, classic root beer, cherry vanilla, ginger lemon, and strawberry vanilla. Olipops have 9 grams of fiber, 45 calories, and less than 5 grams of sugar without artificial sweeteners. The company raised a $10 million Series A in early 2020 and has been off to the races, successfully growing distribution behind a boost in marketing investment and headcount growth. Steve, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for, for having me on.
0: appreciate it. We're, we're super excited. We've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. We're seeing Olipop everywhere and we have truly enjoyed so many of the new flavors. The grape launch was something we're really excited about. Before we go into the company, we'd love to hear a bit more about your background. I think you have some experience historically as an investor and now kind of turned to operator. Can you just take us through kind of your history? I got
1: into consumer stuff in college. Actually, I went to Penn State, where we have a student-run mutual fund with you know ten million dollars under management. I managed the consumer sector my junior year, and kind of like fell in love with the category and ended up doing consumer investment banking out in San Francisco after I graduated and was like super into Shark Tank also at the time. <laughs> and wanted to work with early stage brands and kind of fell in love with like the consumer ecosystem out there and made my way to a company called Circle Up. That was a equity crowdfunding marketplace at the time. And it was solely focused on consumer products. And so was there for three years. We raised a fund while I was there, which was super interesting and got to kind of see how that whole world works. But I was always more drawn to kind of the post-investment side of of life and working with the brands to help kind of scale them up after we'd come in as an investor and wanted to learn more about that side of the house. And so we ended up moving down to LA to take a role at a startup that we'd done some due diligence on that ended up being a bit of a mess and had raised like $40 million, I think a month before I joined and ended up shutting its doors eight months later, which was a very eye-opening experience and and a good learning experience in in retrospect. And then I began kind of consulting for a bunch of early stage brands, one of which was was Ollipop, and kind of came on to help raise the I guess it was the pre seed or the seed round, uh, very early days. And then um, honestly, was still doing consulting for like another six months or so, and uh, ultimately joined Ollipop full time. I don't know, maybe a year in. I Had been working with the guys since pre launch, but didn't come on full time full time until. Kind of, I guess it was like the summer of 2018 that would have been. Uh, and I've been doing the Olipop thing ever since.
0: Super interesting. I think the the combination of the investor operator background can add so much value. Understanding how to talk to investors, how to raise capital, but then also being able to get deep in, into the operations of a company like Olipop makes, obviously, you a huge value add. What are some of the lessons that you kind of took away with you from that early stage experience at the startup that now you're really thinking about as, as you work at Olipop and, and trying to scale the brand? I think my number one takeaway probably
1: would have been the importance of culture and how just raising money doesn't like solve and really any of your problems. It sometimes can create more problems than, than it solves. And it, it wasn't a well-run business. It wasn't a um, it wasn't a great place to work. And I kind of came out of that saying, like, I will never ever take a role for really any other there's not, nothing more important than culture i don't think money or location can solve a bad culture and and i kind of like i i've seen it happen with a lot of the businesses that you know i've been around now for the last five or six years that have gone on and scaled and sold like they all had amazing cultures like if you meet anyone who worked at sir kensington's very early days it was like this was like an absolutely unbelievable place to work people were so fired up to come into the office every day and that stuff really, really matters, right? It's like, you could have the best product ever, but if people aren't happy to be there, they're going to leave, right? Like a good product doesn't keep people around if the culture's terrible. And so I'd say kind of number one learning would would be that.
2: I want to dig a little bit into culture with you. I think it's so important and oftentimes people overlook it. Can you tell us like what you think the keys are to a successful culture and what you found to be those like key drivers?
1: Yeah, I do think it's really hard for first-time founders to nail culture. It's just not the thing you're thinking about when you're going out to start your first business. It's a, lot, a lot of times, it's founders who've been through hell, uh, whether, either as employees at other startups or having started their own business and had like really bad investor relationships that that you know, torpedoed the business. It's just something I've noticed. It's 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 a lot of these second and third-time founders who totally have already learned the same thing that I learned that was like, oh... I had an awesome product before and I raised all this money and then, you know, it crashed and burned because we couldn't keep any of our employees. And I think that, I don't know, it's just, it's just something I've, I've noticed. And it's also so it's like, I always say this, say this, like the mindset of like, especially a first time founder is often like break through walls, you know, move fast and break things. It isn't always like, how do I manage these 20 people? How do I manage people that might be 20 years older than me? And the, the, the mindset that you need to go out and, Take the risk appetite to start your first business is often like almost the exact personality traits that you need to like manage people and make them really happy every day. And um, I've said this on pretty much every podcast I've ever done, but Olipop has the best company culture I've ever been around, uh, either as an employee or kind of as an outsider. But I think we've had maybe one or two people out of close to 50 uh, so far, you know, voluntarily leave the business. And I think it's just a testament to like what Ben and David have built on on the culture side of things.
0: What would you say like is in that secret sauce that make it such a special place to work specifically?
1: When you moved to San Francisco, I thought good culture was like amazing cafeterias and like ping pong tables and company happy hours. Uh-huh. like what I've learned is like a lot of people like don't actually love all that stuff. And if you're like not an intro, if you're not, if you are an introvert, like those things end up, can end up being like actually a suck on company culture. And we don't even have an office. We've never had an office for Ollipop. So like none of that stuff could even be relevant. It, it's, I think it's more so like how you treat people and do you like treat them like adults or do you micromanage them and how much kind of, liberty and how much like slack do people have to like run and and make their own decisions and, and learn from those you know mistakes or you know or successes and we just have a very like flat culture and you know, we do everything on Slack and Zoom. We get the whole team together. Well, we, we, were, we were doing this in the past when we were smaller. And now we get subsets of the team together on like a monthly or quarterly basis in person. And, you know, that's obviously been a little bit disrupted by by the pandemic, but started doing it a bit more earlier this year. And, you know, David and Ben have been through, they had a business before that that ended up, you know, going a bit sour for a number of reasons, kind of related to the some of the partners that they chose. And they kind of vowed to like never let, let something like that get in the way of success ever again. And they've been very diplomatic and intentional with the partners they've chosen for, for this, for Alipop. And um, we have a pretty rigorous hiring process as well. Every, every employee goes through five, at least five rounds of interviews, if not like upwards of eight. And I think it does a really good job of weeding out the bad eggs. And so we've got like a team of like very motivated self-starters who also play really well. Together and it it manifests in like I, I've never had a I've never been in a company ever where like people look forward to the Monday morning meeting, <laughs> genuinely our team does, uh, which is I think a testament to to, to the culture and uh, and what we've
2: That's really special. I think it's really unique to find a place where you enjoy waking up every Monday morning and go and going to the work place or I guess now on Zoom and really working with people every day that help to elevate your game and elevate your team. I'd love to kind of transition and talk to you about gut health. Obviously, that's a huge part of Olipop. And it seems that gut health has been overlooked until somewhat recently. And of course, like you're not a doctor, we're not doctors, but we know how important gut health is to human function. Can you talk a little bit about, so our listeners can understand like what Olipop is doing to promote gut health?
1: The the short answer to the question is Olipop has nine grams of prebiotic fiber in every can, which is like, you know, the average American gets about 12 to 15 grams of fiber a day. You know, global health organizations recommend 30 to 35 grams of fiber a day. So we, you know, we talk about this a lot. There's like this fiber gap in, in the American diet. Yeah. We're, looking to solve that by, or make a dent in that fiber gap, I guess, by taking a product that people know and love, that's oftentimes full of sugar, which is soda, uh, and really swapping the sugar for fiber, which is kind of like one of the most nutrient deficient or most deficient nutrients in the American diet. And so kind of as the story goes, Ben is their co-founder and formulator and kind of grew up eating a standard American diet, was very overweight as a kid. Started teaching himself about nutrition and learning kind of about the connection between the gut and the brain and how what you put into your body impacts your kind of like mental health. And, um, started formulating his own beverage products when he was eighteen or nineteen. And you know, the science has shifted a bit around gut health and like the importance of fiber over the last ten years. And Ben had been working more in like the probiotic fermented space prior to starting Olipop. And there's just been you know more science that's come out in the last five to ten years that's pointed to the importance of of fiber in the diet
2: and I think that goes on to the fact that like you guys have crafted this this such unique drink and this unique, angle on taking something that people know and love a a soda and turning it into actually something that can benefit you with all of these amazing things to promote gut health. So with that being said, like the secret sauce that you guys have, do you think Olipop is always going to focus on gut health being your main function? Or do you think you guys see yourselves tapping into sleep or energy?
1: Uh, I would say gut health for sure. It's sort of like Ben's mission as a human being. And I think has the most room in the category. And I also just kind of like removing that for a second, if you just look at the product itself and you look at the brands that have really built real scale in the consumer space in the last five years, you have like smart sweets and candy, You have simple mills and crackers, you have fiat and chips, you have, you know, cauliflower and pizza, bonza and pasta. They're all like really inherently junk food categories. And it's not like we're asking people to change their behavior. It's just giving them a better alternative and making them feel better about it, which I think is the most important part. I think you see a lot of these super premium products that come to market, they are, are new and different, and they're not necessarily like replacements for a junk food product. And they do really well in the New Yorks and the L.A.s and San Francisco's. And then they try to transition to like a more mainstream audience in in middle America and Walmart, Costco, places like that. And they often fall fall flat, uh, sometimes because of taste, sometimes because of price, sometimes because of both. And I think we've kind of hit this sweet spot of like, whether you're into gut health or not, it doesn't matter. The product tastes great. And I, I would say 90% of consumers that I talk to, or like just random people I see at the grocery store that are buying it, don't even know there's fiber in it. And so we don't like really beat, beat people over the head with that. We want them to like figure it out if they're into it, but we lead with like taste and brand more so than, than
2: function. Totally. I want to bring up Poppy, because I think, you know, you guys probably often hear this quite a bit, main competitor in the space. Do you guys talk about Poppy in the office as your competitor? Do you kind of focus on your lane? Tell us a little bit about this competitive landscape. I would
1: say we really don't. Um, We don't much. I think there's kind of two answers to that question. Like we talk about Coke and Pepsi. I think we're really competing with like Diet Coke more so than anything else. And Zevia, you know, much bigger players, much more awareness they're all, you know, poppy shelf stable, but not, there's another a little bit of a difference there, but on in the natural channel, very competitive, right? We're, we're kind of next to each other on shelf at Whole Foods and, and Sprouts. And you need multiple brands to, to build a category. And we're trying to build this like functional soda category. And like the story we tell to retailers and, and buyers is kind of like, there's way too many kombuchas on shelf. Like kombucha is a declining category at this point, especially, particularly in natural. And there's just, it needs to be skew rationalization there. and like. This kind of functional pop space is the fastest growing category in beverage, and so we're kind of making the case that there should be, you know, full cooler sets at Whole Foods for this, right? There shouldn't be three cooler sets of kombucha; should probably be like one or two, and then like a functional, you know, soda set. And so, uh, in the natural channel, for sure, we need multiple good competitors to help build the category, and you don't want somebody to come try a product in this kind of healthy soda set and not enjoy it and never come back. We, But we really talk about like Coke and Pepsi. And that was partially why we made that kind of ad that was going after a Pepsi campaign because there's a lot of rhetoric from the big soda brands around, especially around these kind of zero sugar products that we just kind of think is a little bit nonsense. And so we're, you know, we're really trying to position ourselves as a competitor to, to Coke and Pepsi.
0: Yeah, 100%. I historically worked at PepsiCo out of undergrad. I think... It's interesting. I think the large strategics have done a decent job in some cases future proofing their portfolios to be a bit healthier and in line with the growing health and wellness trend. Yet at the same time, I'm always, my mind is always blown when I don't see a Pepsi or a Coke even coming close to innovating in the way that Olipop is. And, and I just wonder like, why, why do you feel like some of these bigger strategics haven't really focused as much on, on gut health um given kind of the early success of brands coming in with that kind of focus
1: that's a good question that i don't really know the answer to i almost would ask you that around like what do you think it's stopping pepsi internally i would say it's a couple of things like it takes them two years to get something to market and we're you know lipop's really only three years old and i think only been on the radar of those guys for maybe a year and so it just might be just a a cycle thing i do still think we're like they kind of view us as like a rounding error on on the category which like we are from a numbers perspective and so you know i i don't i don't really know you know pepsi has cavita right i guess that's kind of like their play in in gut health which we've now kind of like surpassed at sprouts which is which is which is a fun little stat but I don't know. I don't I don't really know. I I would guess it's coming. If I had if I had to put a number on it, it'll be like an interesting formula. It'll probably be half the price of ours. It won't have any like real functional benefits, but I would argue that like if they were to do like a big campaign around it, it would be great for us. Yeah. Um, the people who know and care would look at the ingredients and compare them to ours and, you know, make their own decisions. But I think that's one of those things that, like, we love the awareness on, on the category. I would have to assume it's it's coming. Yeah, the skew
0: rationalization has been interesting, just watching, like, what they're delisting to try to simplify portfolio towards, like, the bigger consumer needs. I think it's a combo of a few things to your question. Like, I think the time to market is obviously a challenge when you have so many stakeholders that you're trying to align I also think particularly in this case, there's been such a unanimous focus on sugar reduction. We've seen legislation in certain countries related to putting taxes on high sugar beverages. And I think just at a whole, sugar has been such a focus for these big strategics that like, I think now they're starting to think beyond sugar reduction into other functions. But I think for a while, like to steer the ship, it's really just been about sugar reduction and other functional benefits within CSDs have kind of come secondarily. Just to switch the subject a bit, you guys are absolute masters in terms of flavor innovation. You have such a nice portfolio that is both appealing kind of to nostalgia, but then also kind of the newer millennial trends. who's, Who's making these decisions on flavor? How are you kind of landing on these flavors? And kind of maybe if you have any insights, you can tell us about like, what are you guys thinking next in terms of flavor?
1: I'd say probably the number one, secret weapon we have is that we do formulate in-house and our co-founder Ben literally formulates these things in his kitchen in the woods in Santa Cruz. And, is, he's an unbelievable formulator. If you look at kind of our ingredients compared to anybody else's, it's it's night and day different. And so, I mean, early on, it was like let's let's go after like the biggest categories and cola, you know, root beer. I think this rubber vanilla plays in the cream soda space. And then, you know, a little bit of it is like retailer driven. And so, like we're working on, you know, that we launched an orange cream this summer with Whole Foods nationally, of something that they kind of asked for. And then we do listen to our customers. We we have a, a spreadsheet that our CX team updates with every single flavor request we get across any channel, whether it's a Facebook ad comment, um, an Instagram DM, an Instagram story. And it's got something like 3,500 or 4,000 responses in it. And that was how we landed on, on grape as, as the number one most requested flavor. So that, that one was purely driven off of, and the product is amazing. And it, it ended up you know getting authorized in like 1,600 Kroger doors, I believe, which is rolling out right now. And I think it's gonna be it's a really interesting flavor at a really interesting time for us as we kind of like make are trying to make this jump from natural to conventional and moving from the whole foods and sprouts of the world into the the Kroger's and then you know, hopefully the Costco's and the Walmarts of the world. And I think grape is like a very mainstream flavor that's extremely popular in the Midwest and Southeast and and will hopefully continue to push us more in in that direction as as we scale.
0: I think the the in-house flavor capability has been key and I mean, you guys continue to to put disruptive flavors onto the market that I think, again, appealed to a, a wide range of both millennials, Gen Zs, baby boomers, and, and so on. And I think that's one reason why the the opportunity has been so big for Pop because I think it's generation agnostic. We, we also we,
1: have this yeah. like pretty interesting e-commerce business that we've built over the last 18 months where we've got, you know, between our kind of SMS VIPs and our subscription customers. We've got something like 15,000-ish folks that we can ch- chat to one-on-one about flavor innovation. And, you know, we can release flavors online before they go into stores. And, you know, we, we did this Blackberry vanilla last December that we had no idea how people would respond to. It wasn't really consumer driven. It was something that we just wanted to try out. It like felt like a Christmasy flavor and it sold out online in 12 days. And it was a fair amount of inventory. Like sometimes people say they things sell out and they just don't make a lot of them, but we made like a fair amount of it. It was like I thought enough to last us at least two months, and it lasted twelve days. And so that's an interesting one where we'll probably drop it online again this winter. And you know, different winter. You know, people were it was a very much a COVID winter last year. And who knows? You know, playing with these kind of like limited time drops. I think if you don't do them too often, it uh, can be really powerful in in terms of like creating a sense of like specialness for those online customers, but also um, an interesting way to like collect data, right? We saw how well that did perform last year. Like there is a world where maybe next Christmas that, you know, that thing ends up nationally at Whole Foods if the data looks really good from this year. So who knows, but you know, historically yeah. that was never really an option for beverage brands and now it is. Um, yeah.
0: No, I think, I think the limited edition is, it's a great way to draft trial, a great way to to. Continue. Continue building brand equity with consumers who may want something like particularly unique and special. So, 100% agree. And you were talking a little bit there about kind of the e-commerce platform that you got that you guys have built, which of course is super powerful and just a super strong learning ecosystem for for your kind of business in terms of learning about customers. Could you talk a bit about the role that you were playing, kind of from a growth marketing perspective? I know you've recently transition to to being the head of business development but would love to hear a bit more about kind of some of the strategic pillars within your kind of growth marketing strategy you talked a bit about sms but just kind of what has been so integral in order to be kind of successful from a growth marketing perspective what
1: we did that in retrospect was that were the right decision where we're, we were quick to to test new platforms i think a lot of brands get like overly reliant on on facebook and we also like we know we have a slightly, you know, we, we phase up a battle selling our products online because it is like 40 plus dollars for, for 12 cans, which is almost, you know, a 40% higher than what you can get by it in stores when we're on sale. And so we kind of have to like educate and have other people talk about the product and, you know, incentivize people to, to, to pick it up online. And so we kind of started testing, you know, we were really just Facebook, Instagram, Google for like the first Kind of six months of our e-commerce journey last year and then flipped on podcast ads and like paid influencer marketing last fall. And it was very good timing, influencer marketing, I think probably 2020 was the best year that we'll ever see from influencer marketing, just given the dynamics of, of what was going on and people, you know, pro- proclivity to be shopping online, but happened to flip those on at, at the right time. And and you know, influencer is is our number one kind of customer acquisition channel and and our our best channel as well from a retention perspective, which seems to bring in like the right consumer for us. And again, if you think about it, it's like people do listen to to these influencers and are more inclined to try it and like it if one of like somebody that they respect is talking about the product. And so, you know, we we've done pretty well there. We've done some interesting stuff on YouTube. And then, you know, this year has been about twenty twenty one has been a, a bit more about testing connected tv so we flipped that on in um in june uh we're doing kind of like a retail focused kind of tv campaign so we don't like necessarily see the data right away but just in terms of like some of the new consumers that have come into the fold and how some of the ads are running on connected tv are performing on on facebook and instagram it's looking very promising uh, a bit more of like a it's a, a little bit more of like a higher up the funnel initiative in terms of like we're really using connected TV to get in front of like an older male demo, which is obviously not who we're talking to on, on Instagram and Facebook. So I think it's, you know, a willingness to test has been really fruitful for us, especially in light of what's happened with kind of iOS 14 and and the challenges that's presented. You know, we, we don't kind of over index on any of the channels and have a pretty spread out. strategy. We also like have the fortunate, you know, we're in the fortunate position where we're in seven thousand stores across the country, and so we can take a bit more of a brand awareness approach to some of the digital marketing than like a purely D2C brand would.
0: How focused are you guys on TikTok?
1: I'm like really obsessed with it recently. Not necessarily like scrolling, but just reading about how other brands are using it. And uh, we're we're not we're not there enough. Uh, we have a lot of work to do and. Uh, what I've learned is you need to build your organic presence before you start doing anything paid there. Because if people are going to your TikTok and there's nothing to look at, there isn't really a point of doing any like influencer or or real advertising there. And so we're kind of like trying to figure out more of a grassroots strategy on, on TikTok and trying to you know build up our, our organic presence there. But yeah, it's another thing I wish we had jumped on earlier, but in the grand scheme of like everything that was happening last year, it just, it, there really wasn't time or anyone internally who was was focused on it. I think it's such a massive opportunity. The organic reach on on TikTok is totally insane. And there's a lot of analogies to like early days of, of Facebook when people were acquiring customers for nothing. So yeah, huge, huge area of opportunity for us that we haven't really tapped into yet.
2: I'd love to hear a little bit more about your new role that you're transitioning into and like the areas of future growth that you guys are focused on for the company.
1: Yeah, so I now kind of oversee new business development for us, which I would kind of like describe as new verticals or new channels. And if you think about soda, like we talk about this all the time in our marketing meetings, it's like, where does soda play that like health and wellness brands would never play. So we really want to be, you know, we want to look and feel and talk and act like a soda, not like a kombucha for lack of a better comparison, but you would never see kombucha like in a professional sports stadium, right? Like that just, It wouldn't happen. It doesn't like really make sense there. You I don't know maybe you you'd find you know Kavita perhaps like on an airplane or or in an airport, but that's like another place where where you wouldn't see. You don't just see a lot of health and wellness products in those in those places. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out what we're going to look like in places like music, esports, real sports. Candidly, not to say that esports is not a real sport, but you know places where you know like like. I would say it's like those kind of verticals and then some of these like newer markets for us, places like, um, you know, Nashville, Austin, Atlanta, places we haven't spent a ton of time yet um, just for lack of like really core distribution there. But with this Kroger rollout, we're going to have a lot more density of distribution and um, in some of these kind of Midwestern and, and Southeastern markets. And so, you know, barring, you know, whatever's going to happen uh, with, with COVID, um, you know, putting together sort of like a, an in-person event strategy in, in, for, for cities like that. So it's almost like verticals and then geographic focus, I would say are kind of my areas of focus at, at the moment for, for next year.
0: So a few questions just to get to know you better if you're up for it. Sure. All right, I'll start it off. Favorite Olipop flavor?
1: Uh, root beer over ice.
2: Ooh, go-to CPG product outside of Olipop.
1: Products I use every day are Jot which I'm an investor in. I, love I, I, just, love. I drink it every single day. It's totally changed my perception on coffee. And then eight greens. I was just I have no affiliation, just pure customer. I subscribe <laughs> little greens tablets, you just drop into water. It makes it taste amazing. And then I love, you know what element is? It's like a, yeah. like a hydration, a, I, hydration enhancer whatever, whatever uh, with salts and electrolytes in it, but zero sugar. Uh, so I try to do pretty limited sugar. And then there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zabs. It's like a hot sauce. That's pretty in the, in the scene here in LA and it's amazing. So best uh, night out in LA. I would probably have to say Winston house. Favorite athlete, favorite athlete, Gabby Thomas. She's our, our new Olympian partner. She's amazing. It's been so cool getting to work with her and kind of seeing behind the scenes of like what these athletes are doing every day. And uh, we kind of had found out she was an Olipop fan and got in touch with her team and, It's just been such a cool experience. One of the coolest projects I've ever worked on.
0: Last question we like to ask all our guests is how you subscribe to wellness. So what are some of the healthier habits that you're focused on in your life to ensure that you're living as healthy as possible while working in a demanding business like Ollipop? Uh,
1: This is an ever evolving answer, but I do try really hard to get to 10,000 steps. I definitely notice a difference in my life when I'm doing that regularly i'm very fortunate that my neighbor has a sauna that i have access to and so i try to use that as much as possible i'm a big believer in the whole sauna cold plunge life i go in and out on meditation i I, i'll have like periods where i'm like really good every day and then i don't do it for a couple months and then i try to get back to it and then i am i am pretty into the whole fasting thing
0: could you just tell us a bit about where our listeners can learn more about olipop
1: our Instagram is awesome. We, there's so much good content on there. Our social team kills it. Uh, we have, a, I think we have amazing newsletters. I would say like sign up for our, our emails. They're like super thoughtful and intentional and have lots of good nuggets about gut health and ingredients. And I find them like, I enjoy reading them uh, personally, even if, even though it's stuff that I'm like pretty familiar with
0: already.
2: Yeah. Um, All right. Thanks again. Uh, thank we'll thank cool. you. Thank you.
0: Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to order some Olipop, use our custom promo code sub 2 wellness. Feel free to rate, review and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time.